Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. This is the show where I bring to you recruitment owners, leaders, investors, trainers, people from all over the world who are involved in our industry, who effectively provide insights to support those that are either at the helm of, of organizations or looking to in the future launch a recruitment agency and want to learn from those that have already trodden the path. Um, in recent in recent times, though, we've been focusing this show heavily on the current UK restrictions and how um, how we can learn from from different recruitment owners on their approach to, to keeping both themselves and their teams on track um, as we move into 2021. Um, today, I'm, I'm super excited to be joined by someone I've dealt with quite a lot recently, not so much in the past, but... Um, someone I admire and I've really enjoyed getting to know, and that's Chris Eldridge, the CEO of Interquest Group, um, a large organization that um, I'll, let Chris, I'll let Chris tell you a bit more about. But uh, today, I really wanted to speak to Chris because I think he brings a, a viewpoint on, on managing an organization that might be slightly different to the size and scale that a lot of my audience have. So it'd be, I mean, I'm interested to know how you're doing it. So Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Yoda. <laughs> I've got I've got to call you Yo now because I'm in part of the academy. Mm-hmm. You're bringing me up to speed. You're telling me how to get my own personal brand out there. So I'm the Luke Skywalker to your Yoda. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can, I can call you that or Sensei right away through. Call me whatever you want, mate. Call me what. It's better than Philip Schofield, which is my usual name. But um, yeah, well, a nice Barnet. Yeah. Break no, thank that. you. Thank you, Sean. On a serious note, thank you very much for inviting me along. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed your company over the last couple of months. So yes, pleased to be here. Well, let's get let's get into a little bit more about you today. It's all about you, not about me. So tell us, Chris, just for the for the listeners' benefit, just give us an overview of who you are and your your position at Interquest. Sure. So uh, Chris Eldridge, I've worked in recruitment virtually since I left uh, university. Uh, I, I randomly went to university to design, well, I left university, went to British Airways to design Terminal 5. That's how old I am, right? And I was one of the first five people on the team. And it sounds far more glamorous than it was because I was the guy that was making the teas and coffees for the really bright people. Um, and then I left there. I went to a recruitment company uh, to find me a job. They said, why don't you have a crack at this? I then said, ah, oh, do you know what? It's going to be quite interesting. Uh, but you've got a bigger company to go to, and they were, and they started it all off. They they placed me at Harvey Nash, and almost 25 years later on, uh, kind of a life in recruitment, always in technology. Um, I've been very very fortunate to work uh, in the UK, domestically across Europe, uh, into Asia, and into America. So you know, I've I've been very very fortunate over my career to do that. Haven't had that many jobs, um, but really enjoyed it. And then I kind of progressed quite quickly, I think, when I started in recruitment, which was contract recruitment in IT contract recruitment in 1995, right? So, you know, anyone could make money at that point. Anyone could be successful. Uh, you couldn't differentiate differentiate yourself, really. You didn't have to, in fact. You just had to be, you had to be hardworking, conscientious, and you could build a good brand for yourself by being honest. And I think that was the key, that was the key differentiator back then. Right. I think we're in a very, very different market now. Um, far more nuanced, uh, far more professional. And I've been very lucky to start there and then was given a, a big job. The, the, the guys at um, the team at Harvey Nash saw something in me and then I've con- continued from there to where I am now at Interquest, where I've been here for just count to five years, the chief exec. We were uh, originally, originally we were a public company, uh, now we're a private company mm-hmm. and uh, doing the best we can to fight the good fight uh, during COVID. For sure. So tell us what a little bit more about the, the landscape, the size, um, scale of sure. interest. So uh, we are, I think I describe it as a kind of multidisciplinary IT uh, recruitment company. Uh, well, and uh, bordering on consulting. So um, we have a, uh, a classic contract and contingent permanent business. We have a, a brand which is RDW, which is Search, and they they work exclusively at very senior work in consulting and technology. Yeah. Um, we have an RPO, MSP, and total talent management business, um, uh, which is um, our solutions business, Interquest Solutions, and that has grown very nicely over um, the last two or three years. Really getting out of, well, it's adding value other than just going through the motions of main, managing and controlling 
uh, a company's recruitment process. It's all the added value stuff you'd expect to that. And more recently, uh, moving into the employee consultant space where we will uh, hire in uh, um, graduates and train them and then deploy them with our clients as well. So the, the idea when you look at it from the outside in is no matter what the problem is, if you sit down with CIO, CTO, CEO, um, we and we look at all of their staffing challenges, we have an opportunity to, to uh, help them in all aspects of it. It could be one or two technical specialists. It could be some leadership one way or the other. It could be they've got a large recruitment campaign and we can put a wrapper around that and control reporting and spend uh, spend a great deal of time looking at diversity and making sure that's balanced across the organization right the way through to now you know you hired 20 java developers last year and the year before and the year before goodness me wouldn't it be helpful if you actually grew your own we can mm. help you do that you know we can we can and there's a big kind of push in that direction so it's that total talent talent management wrapper that we're we're trying to focus on primarily in technology wow and how many people across how many locations well, um, we've got uh, offices up and down the spine of the UK. We've got six offices in the UK and one in New York. We're probably about 220 people now. We'll probably, no doubt, we'll talk about COVID a bit. And we were more than that um, at the start of COVID, I'm afraid to say. We had to uh, you know, make some very tough decisions along the way. Um, we've lost probably 30 people yeah. in the organisation, which has been, um, thankfully, everybody's got a job which is, you know, I'm delighted for, we've you know, stayed in touch with everybody. But we, just like everyone else, have had to take their fair share of pain and um, and get through it. Wow. So, I mean, totally different to a lot of the landscapes of, of organisations I've interviewed. So, I'm, you know, I've got so much going on in my head. But we're just... kind of stuck in the middle, really. You know, we're not a little boutique um, yeah. and we're not a deco, you know, or Randstad. You know, we're, we're, we're in that mid-market. And I think in that mid-market, you've got to be quite innovative to differentiate and yeah. to survive and and you know thankfully we you know we've done well over the last uh, couple of years um but it's a it's a challenging market yeah for sure so going in you mentioned going into lockdown you know you you had circa 250 say staff maybe 30 30 more than you have today can you i don't i don't want to go into the massive first wave chat because i feel like everyone's over it a bit but i just just want yeah. to get to set the ground framework to where you are now you know tell us what was it like for you as the chief exec of that company? Um, can you take us back to this, this, the reality of what it was like in March when things started to un unfold? Yeah, I think um, if I'm if I'm being frank and kind of uh, exposing myself a bit, it was hard to believe it. Yeah, actually, yeah, you, you, like we came out of Q1, which was um, which was a strong quarter for us. You know, we were everything was looking good for the H1 number, and you got all your investment plans on the back of that, and you you know you're chomping at the bit really. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we just didn't understand it, did we? We don't have the knowledge that we have now. So, and I think we were perhaps, and I'll, I'll try not to get on my soapbox about it, but we we're perhaps overly compliant. You know, mm. we were, it was like being in a film, and you know you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do the other. And we as Brits are, you know, lovely and compliant, and um, and off we went. I think what that panned out to is a lot of fear uncertainty and doubt both in with my team and I that when I use the language of team I mean not my top team but the company you know and uh, with our clients and with our candidates so immediately you just saw everything stopped and the idea of a virtual interview and a virtual placement was a joke you know yeah. you must be mad right I mean only on very rare skill sets had it even happened before I was saying to you only this morning we were talking, weren't we? And I said, you know, we've gone from never really have I, we didn't even record it uh, when we when we done that in the past to doing I think it's five thousand six hundred virtual interviews now and making eight hundred and sixty eight virtual placements since you know March to now. And if you'd asked me that last year, I'd, I'd have said you were barmy. And um, I think the one thing looking back at it though, you know, I've got a load of books here and I'm an avid reader. And uh, but there's no book for it and there's no YouTube clip for it. And you've got to rely on your team. And I was very, very fortunate to have a very good team of leaders, both operationally and very good uh, HR, legal, financial support. Briefly, what we did, you know, it was I think everybody has their time. If I, if I look back on the start of COVID, every function played its role. First, yeah. 
it was finance. Um, how much cash do we have? Hmm. How long can we survive? What's our burn rate? What do we need to do? Who's going to speak to the landlords? Who's going to speak to the bank? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Once you've got that and you know where you are, then I think it's a case of saying, right, your income was here and now your income is going to be, well, best guess. You know, you got to think back in March. So it was close to saying, right, we think we're going to be 60% down, you know. And at that point, you know, we had a number of, we've lost quite a few contractors going through the process, although they're coming back now. But, you know, you, we saw our income slide uh, quite significantly. But your cost base was fixed. So what else can we do around the cost base? You know, and that was really before the furlough scheme would even come in. So you're juggling that. But once you got a pit, you know, a best guess around that, and we'd had, as I say, we'd had a quite strong Q1. So there were a lot of there was a lot of activity that was going to drop into placements in you know, April, May. So you kind of think, okay, we've got a bit of a ramp here. So that was finance's job. Then it was the sales team's job and the client management team's job to go and speak to our clients and say, just offer a bit of support, really. You know, not only were we kind of reeling from it, but our clients were reeling from it. Um, I don't think I don't think it matters how experienced you are, particularly no. with this challenge. How experienced you are, how much money you make, how many people you got working for you, you're still human, and those human insecurities and frailties of of uh, character come out at times like that. So we were then talking to managers, you know, advising them on their position mm -hmm. um trying to play the honest broker between you know and copying a lot of bad news you know we're, we're we're not doing this we're not doing that i know you've been working on this process for months but you know we're going to stop it now thanks very much oh by the way we're not going to pay your bill um but we got through that and then we made a decision very early on to communicate as much as we possibly could internally make sure that we didn't add to our team's anxiety and we do as much as we can in the community. So I think as recruiters, and I'm not just talking about my firm, I'm talking about the industry. We, we are in a unique position. Now, there aren't many times you can go down to, you know, have a conversation with somebody and within 10 minutes ask them how much they earn. You know, yeah, you do yeah. that in a pub. <laughs> you can't even do it in a pub now, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never looked at it. Yeah, but in our industry, you, know, you strip people, you know, you get through the layers of the onion really quickly into the yeah. brass tacks. Um, so if you're having that type of discussion with people, they they bear their soul a bit. And then once you've spoken to 20 people, you kind of think, well, hang on, you know, 15 of you got the same type of problem here. What if we were to get a webinar and we were to talk about it? Or even if it was just a private teleconference, just to say, look, you know, look, I, you've, you're facing exactly the same problem as she is. And, you know, I think the two of you should just talk. So we put ourselves very much in second position, tried to look at life through that lens and what we can do in service to our clients. And then the final bit, and that worked. And, it's, and actually, if I'm honest with you, Sean, we continue to do that, you know, yeah. particularly in the second phase of lockdown, the rest of it. And the final bit then was, you know, so finance had had their day and then sales had had their day. And then it was uh, HR and legal. And that was the that was the more painful bit. By then, we knew we were in it for the long term. We the government had come out with the first crack at uh, a furlough scheme, um, and we looked at the business. Um, the, I, if you think back, the government uh, advice—I've got to be careful what I said—was opaque. I think it mm -hmm. could be read into until they actually came out with you know some hard and fast rules. But we were going to make some decisions based on common sense. Yeah. And actually, one of the things I say about the, the leadership team in Intercrest is they're a sensible bunch. You know, they're they're made up of long-standing business people, recruiters. Many of them have their own business in the past, so you know they were they were up for the, the challenges. Yeah. It were. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing I'm, I'm proudest of is you know nobody really tried to hide behind the sofa. They all put themselves in the way of the oncoming problem, which was you know which made my life a lot easier. Um, and then we had to make some tough decisions. You know, what we can do around furlough, what are you going to do around business areas, offices? Um, and as I say, we, we put, um, uh, I think we put in total about 50 people into furlough. And um, that process went quite well. Um, and wherever we can, we've brought people back. Uh, but as I said right at the start, you know, we, um, we were unable to do that for everybody, which is uh, just really distressing if I'm honest with you, you'd work really hard to get your business to a particular size and shape. A number of those people had worked with us for years and years. 
but it was just on those decisions you knew that that function wasn't going to be needed yeah and yeah. uh you know there's lots of holes in the boat and you had to plug a few holes to keep the boat afloat really so um it was uh i think we we went through that process trying to be open factual and with as much kindness as possible um but it's it was you know it was it's probably if i think back one of the hardest periods of time that april may june was you know Horrible. yeah and just about everyone i spoke to that was in a position similar to mine where they had to make those decisions was in the same boat i think mine was obviously a hell of a lot smaller and a lot of the clients i've dealt with a lot smaller businesses well i guess one question i've got for you based on the differences i mean i know for a fact when when shit hit the fan i personally got on the phone to every client we we deal with you know people i'd not maybe spoke to in three to six months because mm -hmm. it wasn't my role anymore i was like you know they wanted to talk to me i was on it when you've got 200 people and a big leadership team and multiple divisions and different offices and different disciplines within that could you actually get yourself did, did you need to did you want to did you manage to get yourself in front of the client side or was it all sitting and just supporting those that did that um no it was it was a blend actually so i am uh, fortunate that i've got a number a small handful really i mean we work with i think in our staffing business we've worked with 850 odd clients in the last two years so I, I, there's no way i've got any legitimacy to ring people really um although we did write to a number of our clients just to offer our support ask you know what can we do to help mm. i've got a small cohort though of, of and you know, like most companies, it's our larger accounts or it's the people that I've known for a long time. You know, I've got my own kind of network mm. and yeah, quite a bit of time spent talking to them. And again, that was more uh, asking a question, what can we do in service to them as an individual or to their business? Mm -hmm. um, it was quite cathartic, though, because, of course, when you're when I'm going out asking so offering help, they are then uh, expanding upon the problems they face, which then informs my decision making. So in one way, it was, you know, although I got very little uh, uh, back from it in terms of direct help, having those discussions 30 or 40 times around helps you, helps an idea come to being, manifesting itself, and then you can turn it into something. And, and even if I had got one or two, like, should I do this or shouldn't I do it? Well, by the time I've had that discussion with 10 other people and they're pretty much all doing it then i can go with some confidence to my team and then go right okay you know i think we should go this way um internally it was a very different thing so you're right we've got numerous different offices up and down the country we've got america to think about we've got clients uh, all over the shop in, in in the business uh so i i started off doing a weekly uh, uh video out to everybody we've got workplace we've got our own instance of workplace yep. so it's easy for me just to put it together and those first videos if i look back at them now uh, you know, it was a video of a worried man, really. Yeah. You, know, um, you couldn't script them. You know, I'd have a script next to me, but actually you'd end up talking about something and you'd get really emotional. You know, somebody um, wasn't was no longer in a business or someone's just seen all their, you know, the last two or three years worth of client work just stop. And so if I go back to them, that was really about getting the facts out, making sure everybody understood where they where they stood and what the company was doing. And I've done them at least once a week for the last, I don't know how many, I've lost track now. I'm going to call it 30 weeks. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, thankfully, though, you know, that was the survive. If I look back, at that, I could put them into three categories. You know, the survive videos, then the kind of maintenance videos of, all right, you know, I think we're going to be okay here. You know, income's doing that, costs are doing this. And we're starting to see some good organisational change, you know. And then, you know, into the you know, survive, maintain, and now starting to thrive a bit. And more, you know, latterly, I'd say the last six or seven, eight weeks worth are where I'm now able to go back to you know, my business and say, right, well, check it out. This is happening and that's happening. And these interview rates are doing this. And, you know, and actually, let's let's turn this into, you know, I, I, I call it kind of the feel good Friday. You know, right. I want to hear everything. If you've got six interviews. Great. You're going to go into the video. Doesn't matter because I want your name to be out there in front of all your peers, because even if you haven't made it, even if you haven't placed somebody it doesn't really matter you know i want to celebrate the effort and the inputs and yeah. i think that's gone a long way to keeping people engaged and um 
And one, they know what's going on. Secondly, you know, the feedback that we've had from our pulse surveys are that people feel listened to, communicated to and valued. And that's, you know, we're going in the right direction if we get that feedback. 100%. I'm interrupting this podcast to give you another update from our sponsor, Audro. The team at Audro have launched another feature in summer 2020, and it's going to be a game changer. This is going to massively change the way the recruitment agency market operates globally for the future. They've called it Audro Producer. This platform sits alongside the company's award-winning video interview opportunity um, and gives you, the recruiter, the ability to create engaging, eye-catching video content ready to share in a matter of minutes. So you can record or upload a video um, and then you can add banners, overlays, images, subtitles, logos, so that you can create these eye-catching videos that are built for LinkedIn. So whether you're interviewing, whether you're doing sales messaging, or you're just trying to put out valuable content on, online, then Odro is no longer just a video interview platform. It's also a content creation platform for recruiters. Get in touch with Odro today to see how you can implement this into your recruitment agency ASAP. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. I want to get into some modern, modern day stuff from future yeah, sure. in a minute, right? Yeah. But before I do, there's something that... So I think you're in a really unique role because I think most recruitment owners, most recruitment leaders are the, are the founder of the company, right? Most mm-hmm. When you deal with that CEO level, they usually started the business, whereas you've come in five years ago and mm-hmm. took, over, took over someone else's business, right? And Sure. Um, where... I think there's loads of questions in my head around this, but where would you say you could, when, when you didn't have a rule book, there was no master book to follow when, when COVID hit, but where did you lean in your, in your background at the previous companies? Like where, what, what experiences did you think, right, Chris, I've done this before. Or I felt, where did you, where did you naturally lean or who did you speak to? What did you do to get support? Because no one thinks yeah. about your, your part in that. What did, what did you yeah. do? Well, well, one of my uh, one of my kind of well, he's a good good friend, but a mentor really to me is a guy called Bill Grubbs, right? Externally, and uh, he's based in America, and he kind of advised me a long time ago when we were a public company. Just get your kitchen cabinet around you, you know, people you can lean on and help and go to for advice. Um, so that was a very good sage bit of keep yourself sane because not you need somewhere to go and someone that's experience similar levels of uh challenge or anxiety or stress and how you're going to cope with that um i think that i'm lucky that i've got a number of uh clients who were candidates who are now great friends Mm -hmm. and they've, they've got big jobs so i can lean on uh several of them and that is for really good advice around how to run a business or just a really gnarly problem through to someone like uh, uh, Joe Bagley, who's the EMEA CTO of VMware, who's advised me to get a Blue Yeti, you know, this, yeah, this yeah. thing here, you know, and the Elgato lights and for God's sake, Chris, yeah. get yourself a couple of screens, you know, just to make your life, you know, the quality of your life easier. Um, but also, you know, I've, I've got an in-house as well. And our chairman, uh, Gary Ashworth, is a quite extraordinary. Uh, he, he he was, he's the person that we were buying build business. He brought it all together. Um and he is quite an extraordinary character. And um, you can have you know, a, uh, a very frank and challenging conversation and know that it isn't going to blow up, you know, it isn't going to turn into something that it shouldn't be. So we've had some very straightforward conversations um, as the kind of chief exec to the chairman who was the founder. But you'd normally think, hang on a second, you know, surely someone's personal interests are going to get involved. But actually, we've had some, you know, if I don't, if Gary doesn't mind me oversharing, a bit of coaching on how our relationship should work and the distance yeah. we need to put in it. So you can have that challenge far closer to home as well. And that's that's seen us through. So you know, what I've benefited from uh, kind of foils, you know, a, a mirror to bounce things off a long way away in America, let's say, through to, you know, some well-established client relationships that I can turn to for a real you know, head scratcher and just say, I just... I don't know which way to turn, you know, and particularly useful when you, your energy tanks are low and you can't mm-hmm. go into your own business because you don't, you know, you don't want to burden other people with your troubles, but you can then go to someone that you know. Yeah. And, uh, and the chairman's been very helpful. Very, very helpful. We, we as I say, I'm, I'm lucky to have this kind of top team now. And if you think, if I think back on 
companies that I've worked in that have, that have worked and performed at a high level, it's where you manage to get the team together and have some sensible discussions and drive outcomes out of it. If I think back at those first two or three months after lockdown, we covered a lot of ground very, very quickly. Uh, the leadership team put themselves again in second position, what's right for our clients, what's right for the team. And we got through it that way. So probably communication is the most important thing. 100%. I, I think, I don't know about you, but looking back on on the first lockdown, my I'm really proud of what we did. I'm really proud of my, my whole team. Um, but uh, I think, and we put our clients first. We definitely put our clients first. We put the industry first. We we sacrificed our own time, our own energy, our own you know salaries, our own mm-hmm. uh, charge rates, all of it to to keep things. But what happened was we did we definitely depleted the tank. So when it got to sort of July time, yeah, I lost the plot personally. Like I had a week where I, I just said I'm not I'm not sick because I I can't remember having a sick day eight years ago. I think I had a sick day, but. I'm fucking empty. I'm running on. I'm running on fumes here. And I just launched the academy, and I said to my business partner, "I said, Emma, you got to take you got to take this on for me for a week." And he's like, "You've only just started it." I was like, "I know, but about <laughs> something, I ain't got the energy. Like, I need it." So I I went to the Lake District um, for a few days, and God, that was it was so vital. But what I saw when I came back was everyone else running on empty. Yeah. That's, that's a bit cruel going to the lake just so we've got no cell phone coverage and they're ringing you and they can't get through to you thinking he's literally just legged it like, what are we <laughs> going to do here you know yeah don't worry uh, they, i haven't got a good team they didn't, they didn't bother me that much to be honest. i did doubt after a few days do they need me like do they, do they want me to come back um but then it that we said to ourselves then in the in the next quarter after the whole madness was all about operation people like so we yeah we did that we gave that mental health day off and we just invested more time in the people and um our culture i think has has been revolutionized like, i genuinely think the team is is a million times closer and better than yeah. they were so that leads me to my next question with you then mm. so where's the business now and what's the key difference in the way you guys operate like what are the obviously you mentioned the video interview bit but that, that i imagine that's that's crucial that's a fundamental change to keep the lights going what's changed in the company in the way people work the way people communicate well give us a bit more insight well, today if I just go back, I will, I will answer that question. But if you go back to, you know, what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type of mentality. And you, you hear that a lot. I'm, hear, I'm hearing it a lot from clients right now, which is yeah. uh, I, I've got an, I've got an overused phrase. I can't accredit it to whoever said it originally, but I know it wasn't me. And whoever it was, I've got to apologize for using it all the time. But what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. So what got us to this point isn't going to get us out beyond COVID. No one's going to go back to exactly the same business model that they had no. you know, 12 months ago. Um, but also, you know, if you choose to, um, once you've got the pain out of the way and the lows out of the way, if you choose to focus on the positive, one of the things I think is going to be a big positive is this this cohesive mentality. You know, Hopefully, as you said, that you, what you've done is you've had your, your people project, you brought everybody together, they feel empowered, they're part of the future, and off they go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things we need to retain after all of this is this feeling of cohesiveness, you know, the, the fabric that holds together our, our group has never been tighter, really. I, I can, it's it's tangible, it's almost physical. I can you can always see it, you know people you know we had a, an incident earlier this week someone's got some very very bad news over the weekend but you know in the past you've been saying like when you see them have a word you know just actually just everybody dives in to make just to let them know it's okay and you know what if you can't face it that's all right as well yeah so i think one of the big positives out of this is around uh well-being around uh the support that people can give to one another and also the fact that it's okay to talk about it. So, and I don't want really to get, I don't get, want to get too on one about this. But you know, we we have a uh, an external company, which is which uh, we've, we've got to deal with. It's an employee assistance program. And if somebody has a financial worry, a relationship worry, uh, uh, a personal concern, they don't feel comfortable talking to their manager. They can go bring this company, and they'll help them. We've also got, I think, six or seven mental health first aiders in our business. And they've been trained to help and uh, be there for people. Now, last year, uh, 12% of our staff used that. And um, 
and you know, we don't get to know who, we don't get to know why, we just get the report. Uh, this year today, 38%. So it's more than trebled. It's incredible. And, and, and that in itself, on the one hand, is very worrying, but I don't think we're different to any other uh, 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 business out there. But also, I take a little bit of uh, solace in it that people are reaching out, they are talking, they're going to find help. They're not turning inwards on themselves as, as people tend to do. You provided an avenue for people that a lot of people haven't done. So that's, you should be proud of that. I would hope it's a bit more common than we would necessarily know. You know, when I've spoken to our bigger clients, uh, normally international clients, it's a common theme now, but I'd recommend it. And if anybody wants to, you know, contact me about it and I can, I can get you put in touch with them. I think it's really good. I think it's great that people are talking about it. And, I, and just to finish it off, I just think I want that to continue moving forward. I want people to feel comfortable in their role and comfortable talking about the, you know, the challenges. Um, what are we, um, remind me of the question again before. It was all about like the major differences now. So you yeah. talked about, you talked about the fact that people, you know, use that facility that was already there, but was probably never as, as exposed. Um, you thought you talked about the camaraderie and how people should, you know, naturally jump onto each other. But um, what else is that? I know from seeing you each week now that you're, you know, you're, you're, you've, you've got a blended model in terms of how you personally operate in terms of. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about the working practices at, in the question. I, I think from the, from the business perspective, we're going to have to work out like everyone else is going to work out what you're going to do around location. Hmm. Um, so we're in the middle of the second lockdown now. And uh, I don't think particularly controversially, I hope it's not controversial, I hope it's sensible, we haven't shut our office. We've said to people, um, work from where, I think the government guidance is, you know, work, uh, if, you, if you're unable to work from home, go to an office. It, it, I think it was once upon a time, it was around effectively, now it's kind of, you know, that's the, that's the message we've been given. Yeah. I've, I've turned that into, uh, you, need to, you need to work where you are the most effective, but where you're the most comfortable. I'm lucky. I've got you know, a reasonable sized house in leafy Marlow. If I if I've had enough at lunchtime, I can I, I have to go into town to walk around a garden. You know. Mm. Whereas I'm very cognizant that uh, a large number of the team that work with me are they don't have an office at home. They're sat on the end of their bed mm. in a you know hunched position, typing on a laptop in an environment that just is not good for them. So I've kept the offices open. We've all kept, but this is just my, the leadership team made the decision. Um, and, you know, people are going into, and the offices are COVID safe. And, uh, but people are going into the offices. We have to keep a register. We have to know where they are. But I want them to be able to do, to be able to have an outlet. Because I think the impact on mental health, it's just been so poor. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think we're only starting to hear about it now. And I think it will be one of the horrible legacies of this, you know, uh, great rush to lock down all the time. Um, so I think we've got to overcome this this balance between uh, working from an office and working from a remote, a remote environment. And I, you know, I, I believe you've got to you've, you've almost got to put COVID to one side and say, what does a uh, congruent working pattern look like? It might not be five days in the office. It might be. But it, but it isn't just going to be, oh, I'll do two in and three out. You know, it needs a bit more thought than that. If you're on a client site, perhaps it's, you know, it's it's pre-governed by the, by the client. Um, but what it certainly isn't is, you know, well, I do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the office because I quite like my Mondays and Fridays from home. That That isn't a good answer either. So I think we need to sit down and really understand where people are being the most effective by job role and get out of this mentality of, you know, I'm an all-in company or I'm an all-out company. I was reading yesterday in the information around, you know, so many companies are leaving San Francisco now. There's all this office space in San Francisco. We don't have an office in San Francisco, I don't know. Um, but they're not all going remote. They're going to somewhere else. They're going to Texas, actually, in Austin. Mm -hmm. And they're not doing it for well-being. They're doing it for costs because mm -hmm. San Francisco is just so flaming expensive. So I, every, there's, it's never quite as clear as you think, you know, um, rarely a company is wholly altruistic. You know, they will be looking for cost savings. So I think we've got to get that that balance sorted out. Um, 
once you've got that, I think then communication is very important. We've scrambled, haven't we, to use Teams and Zoom and WhatsApp and every other tool. But I think now it has to be centralised again. And I think it has to be centralised for our own well-being, actually. Now, we've got a database that we use. In fact, we've got two different databases of different brands. Um, but so much communication is going out of process that I think we need to bring it back in process. So I think that's going to be quite an important uh, um, uh, staging point moving forwards. Um, and uh, I think now, going back to that point around, you know, what got you here won't get you there. I don't think we're alone. I think lots of recruitment companies now are looking at, right, where do we really want to be? This is almost a bit of a fire break. You know? yeah, yeah. We can, there'll be winners and losers out of COVID. There'll be phoenixes and there'll be the companies that trundle along. And in the UK, I can only talk about the UK, so your you know, Australian audience, uh, this will mean nothing. Well, actually, quite a few of the ex-UK recruiters, it might mean a bit. But IR35 is around the corner next year. Yeah. You know, we've got that. So we had it in the public sector. So we've got, we're coming out of COVID and we've got the kind of step hurdle, which is IR35. Now, the more people I talk to about it, it seems to be resolving itself to some extent. But you've got that and you've got Brexit. So what I've been doing, why I didn't do my homework uh, last week, Sean, as I had to fess up to all the group on the academy this morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing best I can. Um, is that we now had a budget for next year. And you've got to put a budget together that gets you out of COVID, gets you past Brexit and gets you past IR35. That's the challenge. No. So I'm talking to managers internally. And I'm also asking clients how they're doing it. And a lot of them are breaking down their budget process that said, we're going to put a first half budget together. The second half, we're going to, you know, we, we have a good guess at it, but we're going to rebase that after we've got Q1 out of the way and we can see what's happening in terms of trends. Now, they're not all recruitment companies, but I think we've got some headwinds yet to navigate. Um, yeah. So I think there's, you know, we have now to look at the services and products that our clients are going to want and those that are you know, going to give us the, um, not always the best return, but the return that we want on capital invested. You can't just, you know, when is enough enough? If you've got a business model and you keep banging the drum, keep banging the drum, and it's not working, I'd say now is a good time to really get underneath that. You've done it with your products and services. Mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've, you've showed a great deal of innovation around where Hoxo have gone. You know, um, I think we're starting to show some innovation around where we go. And I wouldn't be surprised that if by the end of next year, uh we you know we've moved some business areas we're not we've, we've moved our focus from particular parts of the market and um i'm borrowing our chairman's language actually when he said you know, have four or five bets and when you find out what works bet big yeah and i think we're in the four or five bets stage at the moment i i think there are there's definitely markets that are um slowing down we see the trend now for clients to be uh Doing, doing a lot more of their own um, uh, contractor sourcing, really, through different channels, either directly or through freelancer management systems, which I think is you know, a really big uh, uh, kind of surge up in there, particularly in the development world. Mm -hmm. Also, we're seeing a dramatic shortage of development talent. Yeah. And you know, that isn't going to go away. You know, as companies now want to digitize, they're going to suck in these resources and we're closing the doors on Brexit. So where is it going to come from? So we as a nation need to create our own talent, whatever that might look like. So I think in there, although we're kind of staring, you know, we're looking backwards at this horror story, I think we could be looking forwards at, right, if I just get my, if I really understand my clients and I can perhaps, you know, channel a bit of my investment spend from a, uh, from a, let's say a cash cowed market, a market that's kind of, you know, that's going, that's stagnant and put it into this and hopefully be able to retrain people that did that into doing this then goodness me you know we can find another lung as it were and go again and that's what i'm really focusing trying to focus the majority of our time on a final interruption to today's episode to introduce vincere vincere is the all-in-one crm ats platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry now i first heard about these guys about a year ago the amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients i was working with that were telling me they were moving over to vincere i had to look into it and what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are, are doing this to give their 
their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. So much out there to think about and every every recruitment organization is different and it's got their own levers to pull and, and people to think about what 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 the major you, you mentioned you know markets some markets are slowing down blah 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 what what's the kind of dashboard that you look at at the top like what's your what, what are the levers you're watching daily to know whether things are on track well i think there's um there's inputs and outputs right so outputs are uh, ben Felton, our CFO, and I uh, almost daily look at. So we we've we've gone from weekly forecasting. I think we've gone from kind of monthly forecasting to weekly forecasting to daily forecasting because wow. we've got to know where we stand, right? Mm. Uh, what you then then need is a pretty good internal communication tool. You need a culture uh, that rewards honesty, not. Uh, you know that that deal's dropped out, but I'll just cover it up and I'll deal with it another day. No, we need to know. You know, mm. um, and I won't judge you on the number. I'll judge you on your ability to predict the number, because you know we have to. If we know we've only got, if we had that, and now we've only got this. We've got to do something with like a cost base, or we've got to we've got to deal with it. But we can't live in a world of surprises, right? Yeah. So every day, um, uh, we look through the net fee income, the amount of WIP work in progress that we've got. Uh, we then have our best guess at what our cost base is going to be this month. I say best guess, you know, it's a reasonably big business. Yeah. Um, uh, it was harder to manage before COVID because there, there's a lot more uh, discretionary spend going on these days. There's nothing to just discretionary spend on, quite frankly. Um, so we can have a pretty good guess then at the EBIT level, the EBITDA level, and a, a, a look at our cash position. So we can then forecast our cash uh, quite carefully. And of course, as you know, that's like, that is the blood that runs through the company so that is straightforward then the other side of it is uh the the levers the inputs and um you know most of the people who'll be looking at this will be recruitment people uh kpis there's lots of kpis and they're not like your kids so you don't have to love them all equally you can pick one and love it just a bit more than the others you know yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um and the one that i love and I, I I try and get everyone else to love is first interviews. Yeah. So I think I could sit here with half a dozen CVs in a market I know reasonably well, and even without a client asking me to recruit, I could get some interviews. I could proactively manage the situation to create an interview. You know, what about where did you work in the past? What did you do? Who did you work with? Do you mind if I just give them a ring and maybe see if you want to go back there? You know, bang, interview. So in the world of a thousand and one KPIs. We and some qualitative and some quantitative. I think first interviews is the critical one. Now we watch everything else. We watch CVs sent. We watch jobs registered. I think one of the things that we've been one of the outputs of, of COVID that I'm quite in, impressed with is uh, for every hundred jobs the group picked up previous to COVID, we placed about forty. So like forty percent fulfillment rate. I guess that's about right. You know. Solid. 30, a third of your jobs will disappear. A third will go to the because they'll you know the client changes their mind. Uh, a third will go to the competition. If you do your bit well, you've done a third. Hmm. We were forty two percent, and now we're forty seven percent over the last on average since uh, uh, March twenty third. And that's because I think we've got better at not wasting our time. So, role qualification is we've been really hot on that. Candidate qualification, and particularly. 
uh, counter offers. Are you really going to move? You can really, you, you know, are you going to move from a three month notice job to go and take a new job where there's a six month probation period and you're on one week's notice in a company that you know you've read about online, but but you don't really know because you've only met them three or four times. Are you really going to do it? And I think having those types of conversations, um, you get the truth a lot quicker, right? So I think that that's very important. But if I look at our first interviews every week and I track them, see what they've done. Last week, for example, was the second highest in COVID. We've had more jobs last week than at any point June uh, since 23rd of March, our second highest level of interviews. Although the placements don't, don't uh, like that the placements will come down the road that's probably december and january's you know it's like specializations uh, and on the uh yeah. i'd love to know how that actually works out you know <laughs> yeah. um so but if i know that then i know i could pretty much have a good stab at how much money we're going to make next month and therefore i know what to do with the cost base so yeah. if i could you know that's what i know lots of companies do it different ways but that would be us right and what Obviously, you've you've been part of the academy for the last nine to ten weeks, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, week nine this week. Yeah, it was week nine, wasn't it? So you you know you made a decision to join a group of of recruitment leaders that are mm-hmm. invested in, in their knowledge of marketing and knowledge of personal branding, etc. Yeah. Um, and we're now going to be looking at working across Interquest, which is exciting. Mm. Um, that the question I've got for you is like, where do you think? Obviously. I, I think you think like me, or else you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing those things. But where do you think the role of the recruiter is going, and how do you think social, like digitalization, and and the acceleration through COVID, where do you think that's going to take the role of the recruiter in in the future? Uh, uh, if I'm honest, I don't know. I don't know the you know the chessboard square it's going to land on, but I mm-hmm. I got a strong feeling for the the direction it's going to go. And I think that coming out of, I think COVID will actually speed the process up about the uh, the recruiter who's the honest broker, the recruiter who is, you know, going to be, you know, put the consultant in sales consultant. We've always, that's a hackneyed term, isn't it? But I think mm-hmm. we've actually got an opportunity to do it. And I think how to do that is to lay the kind of doors open a bit and show your community what you stand for. So I think it's easy if you look back at recruitment and I go back to 25 years ago, people weren't necessarily worried about their social impact. And I don't mean that as in social LinkedIn, you know, all the rest of it. I mean, like socially, what are you doing good for the world? You know, very few people go into recruitment to want to make the world a better place. But if you think about it, you are the person that changes somebody's route in life. You find them a job with 25 grand more, 50 grand more, you've changed their life. They might be get a bigger house. They might put their kids in private school. They might mm. be the first time a child goes to university. Um, so I think I think I think that stood back then, but right now and in the future even more so, you've got to lay yourself bare. So why did I go to the course? Because I've got a very corporate uh I, I'm typically kind of uh middle class British, right? So I don't like everybody knowing what I'm up to. Uh, I don't like showing my, you know, washing in public. Um, but you avoid embarrassment that way. But what you don't do is show all the value that you can bring. And actually, you know, you keep your light under a bushel, I think, that the phrase is. Mm. This, going, for me, going over the course was an opportunity to say, right, you know what? I've got a lot to say, as you can tell. And I've got a reasonably defined voice in the market. But I need to learn how to do it. And I don't want to do it through our marketing team. I want it to be authentic. I want people to know what I stand for. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen others that I work with. Joe Bagley is a really good example of the chap that I mentioned at VMware, yeah. who has the very, very strong uh, uh, social position, right? He's, he puts everything out there. He is a, he's a genuine polymath. He's unbelievable at technology. But he's also, you know, shares his love for mountain bikes, shares his love for EVs. You know, he's got he's, he's got more Tesla kit than Elon Musk has. Um, <laughs> but I, I really admire that. And I wanted to be in that position. And I want our recruiters to be in that position. If you say, how many times have we looked at a LinkedIn profile? I'm an expert in Kubernetes recruitment. And you look and think three months ago, you're working for Foxton's pal. You know, yeah. come on. Yeah. What I really want people to do is go, yeah, I'm an expert in Kubernetes. And here is my meetup. Here's the webinar I've done. Here's all the other stuff I've put out there. Here's how I can work in service to you. If I'm if I'm now a Kubernetes, if I'm a candidate who's got that skill, 
and I want to go and work. I want to, I want to go and find a job. I'm going to go to the person that has authenticity. Mm-hmm. So I'm of an opinion now, once we've got everybody trained, I would like to set some social selling KPIs to actually push people to put themselves out there to demonstrate they can clearly differentiate. You know, experts by definition know more and more and more about less and less and less. 100%. And I want them to be like that. I want everybody to have that. And I think it's a big tool to have in your armory, you know, coming out of COVID. But I think I think more so than ever, I think it's just sped it up. I think 100%. if you don't have that, you're just going to be noise. 100% agree. I think I look at back at my experience in recruitment and, you know, it was it was a completely offline experience. But, and, and you said it a minute ago, you know, I, I was I was constantly... I had a really good memory and I've, that's probably my number one strength, I think, is my memory, right? So if I was in a meeting with a client, I could probably name... I'd hate to have been your manager. Where were all yeah. those names on the, on the database? No, 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 they're all up here. No, 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 no. I, was, I was actually pretty good with admin. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say they weren't on the database, but I got to them faster than the database. So I would do the deal on the way back from the meeting on my mobile because I could just remember it, right? Yeah. But, but that worked for me because I could credibly, you know, in a client meeting, I could name and drop so fast and and i could reference things that a client was like this guy's done it because he you know whereas but all but i also felt like i wanted to show it not just say it i feel like Mm. sometimes when you say things anyone can say things and you know sales we're all known for being good talkers like Mm. sometimes you can be that good a talker people think even when you are honest you're full of shit because you just come across so well that's just Um, i had that with a with a recent client we'd already signed them and in the strategy we came up with this idea and he goes I really love it, Sean, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm worried you're just making it sound so good, but is it even doable? I was like, we'll, we'll yeah. prove it. Um, but so my point is that was kind of my brain back in 2015 was like, I'd love to be able to show this. And then now what you've just said, I, I, we've got the platform to do it. We've got the platform to, you know, I can sit <laughs> here and I can share a video with, with the chief executive of Interquest. I don't need to say I know the chief executive of Interquest and drop your name. I can prove it. And I don't think people understand the monetary value of this activity yet like my podcast alone in the last two years has revolutionized the not just what we make but how we make the money at hoxo like the way that people come through but i had a guy who um who signed a contract with us without the com he didn't even need like bear in mind this can sometimes take a month to get someone over the line to sign a retained project with hoxo he didn't even need the conversation. He's like, I've listened to you in my ear every week for a year. Like, where do I sign? I don't even know what you, I don't really know what you're even like going to do for me yet, but I just mm-hmm. want, I, just, I know it's what I want to do. And I know you're the people I want to work with. And that never bloody happened before. No. And it's scary no. what, where I, that can go in two more years, three more years, you know? Yeah. And I think starting out now, because I think it's going to become very apparent uh, to most, most, people in a client-facing role, whether in recruitment or whatever it is, yeah. that video is going to take over and you've got to have the skills to be able to talk to people and put your point across eloquently, concisely, and to make it land with people. And that audience, no matter who they are, it has to land with them. So, you know, it, it can't be discreet to individuals. That's the next step of the conversation, but you've just got to have a view and you've got to be interesting and you've got to be interested, I think, which is more um, more important. And one of the things that I've learned on this uh, in Academy is just the vulnerability, which uh, every ounce of me, my 47 years have been trained out of me. Like you can't mm-hmm. show, your chief exam, you can't show vulnerability. Yeah. And, and actually, um, the COVID's been a real slap around the face for me. It has enabled me. I don't want, you know, it, it's not, I, I don't want to uh, be a burden, but I want people to understand it's okay to be vulnerable. Yep. The post I put up a couple of weeks ago on LinkedIn, which uh, you know, which spoke to uh, kindness not being weakness, but actually being a strength. It was on World Kindness Day, mm-hmm. but there aren't that many, you know, kindness and the affiliation around kindness in leadership has been kicked to the curb. Actually, it's like number one thing. You know, it costs you nothing to be kind. So, and you can be another, you know, little phrase. You can be rigorous without being ruthless. Yeah, I think recruitment companies in the past, they're all classics, you know, I, I won't name them, but, you know, early 2000s were ruthless places. You know, there's no place for that today. You'd be rigorous by all means, let people know where they stand and work in service to their development. So if I can get my message out now through this medium, 
it will make me, I believe it's going to make me uh, more effective. It will, it will hopefully attract people towards the company that I'm, I'm leading and that I'm part of the leadership team of. And um, it will be a message out there to the, the team, my team, and actually everyone else there to say, just put yourself out there. What's the, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you, you might get a bit of stick, but we're all pretty thick-skinned. You can get over that. But get your message out there. Totally. Something a little bit closer to home for to, to sort of wrap us up a bit. Yeah. Um, but what one of the – obviously, I mentioned it right at the beginning of the show that majority of the owners in our industry or leaders in our industry are, are the owners of the company, the people at the top yeah. of the tree. Um, but I also love the fact that, you know, I've got someone like you who's – showing you know you, you've got so much success you've done so many great things you don't need to necessarily have founded the company to be at the helm and to be you know making great decisions and building a great career what when did you know that that was the route for you and how did you because i'm sure that it's gone through your mind of of starting your own chris eldridge enterprises like what what made you just decide that actually no you were going to be the chief exec of someone else's company um so i th- i I think there'll probably be a day when I do, but I think it will be on a smaller, I think it'll be the second half of my career. Yeah. You know? uh, I think that what prevented me from doing it originally was the opportunity I had at Harvey Nash and it just pushed me into this position of responsibility. And I quite enjoyed it, if I'm honest with you. And I was lucky enough to have a few coaches and people around me, you know, um, I would think back to people like, um, Monique Levine, you know, who probably a name you don't recognise, but Monique was a fantastic recruitment trainer. She's gone on to do other great things now, but, you know, a lot of time invested by some very, very kind people. But then you end up managing a team of 40 or 50 people. And the idea of going and starting up yourself, well, you kind of think, now, you know, a different path now. Yeah. Um, and what stopped me, what's prevent, prevented me from doing it is the next opportunity has been just a bit better than the last one. So, when, when, when I went to go and work for um, uh, Bill Grubbs at Spring, which was then bought by uh, Deco, that was a great job. Yeah, and I could really, I worked for people that had a vision and I could really get behind the vision. Um, I think here, you know, why didn't, when, when I left PSD, didn't I go and start my own thing up? Um, because I found an opportunity that I could really, I could really believe in and get my teeth into. And I really enjoyed the people. If I hadn't, then... I may well have started my own family. I might not, might not have even had an opportunity. I might have had to do it, you know, just to get uh, keep the bills getting paid. But um, but I've I've found opportunities. And I've kind of really gone for opportunities where I think I could. I think my personality can make a difference. I didn't really want to, to join a firm to necessarily you know have the badge of running a public company on my CV. That wasn't part of it. It was actually this business had been a buy and build, as I said before. But it just wasn't humming. All the jigsaw pieces in the wrong place. And, you know, I thought I could put it in the right place. It took me a lot longer than I thought I would do. You know, like that's another podcast for, you know, what have you done wrong over the last few years? You know, last 25 years. Like that's a yeah, we'll put that in 2021. Well, yeah, that's a double yeah, podcast. That one. The question's evolving, though, is like, I really, I, I, I think there's a shitload of people in this industry that don't necessarily want to start a company, but they feel like the only yeah. way they be a CEO or an exec is if they do. And that's why we get, you know, some really unhappy recruitment owners because they, you know, they, yeah. they, they leave that, that team environment. They leave all of the, the development they were getting and they think their only route is to start their own. And then they don't enjoy being on their own. They don't enjoy the, the they're not particularly, you know, they don't want to be an entrepreneur and deal with all the crap behind it in the earliest stage. Yeah. So, what would you say to someone who sat there? Maybe I mean I was in the same role. I was yeah. I was in a manager role in a fifty-seven man business, thinking I could have definitely gone on to lead a lot of that company. I'm sure, but I did decide it was for me. But if someone's at that point where they're like, "Well, actually, I quite like the thought of what Chris has done," I, I, start, I, start, I mean, our, our business broadly is polarized, isn't it? Massive behemoths, huge companies, you know, megatrons of this world, and tiny small boutiques. Yeah. Really, you know, you, I could, another answer to why did I take this job is because I'm, I'm I'm afraid of doing a small thing. I like scale. I, it gives you opportunities to do stuff. You know, I find that more interesting than you know the small stuff. Um, the I think if and you do see a lot of founders, you know, we've looked at a number of companies through acquisitions over the years. They're not the happiest people in the world because scaling a company, you might get to five people, ten people, but getting to forty is really really hard. And then you've got to exit it, you've got to sell it, you've got then it gets into multiples and what you're gonna sell your business for. 
and you always think it's worth more than people offer you. It's a, you know, it's a bit like entering a cake eating contest to find out first prize is more bloody cake, you know. <laughs> so what I do is any of these managers, you know, who aspiring managers in medium-sized companies is talk. Talk to the talk to your directors, talk to your managing directors, talk to the founders. There's loads of good ideas out there. You know, what's what's to stop you from uh, putting yourself out there? All they can do is say no. And if they say no and you really want to do it, then you know it's not for you. You can go somewhere else. You can be creative. You can say, I've got this great idea, but I need you to back me. All right. Let's let's talk about some type of uh, uh, share option scheme in this new venture. You put the money up. I'll grow it. You have the majority share, but I'll, you know, I'll drive the rest of it for you. But I think most of the most people don't have those discussions. They have the internal dialogue. They get a bit wound up about it and then they lash out. And that lash out is I'm going to start my own firm up. Then. Yeah. No, just slow yeah. down because you've got a great skill set. And we must be one of the only industries that encourage people to go and do it. Do you know, it's it's so hard to go and do. There's such a high failure rate that you know, if we were just a little bit more professional, you could have that discussion internally with you know a manager that's got open an open mind you know, and, and is receptive to it and then you can do it but you've got to have the backbone to go and do it i think it's so 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 well put i think there are the what i love about this sector is there is that opportunity to go and start i think it's great i think it's you know it provides so much to so many people but you, you nailed it like sometimes people think it's their only option and, yeah. and you can be suit you can you can start a business within a business you can be creative but it is about communication and 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 managing upwards as well as as managing downwards um and you said one thing there as well i had all these skills and that's the thing that when unless you do get investment and backing and you if you go and start your own but you've been in a management role for a number of years you've got to park some of them skills for a few yeah. years you know yeah. and yeah um yeah, that, that's something people need to really, really think about. Um, Chris, we, um, we're, we're out of time, but thank you. Pleasure. So much. I've, I've genuinely, I've loved listening to, to the story. I've, of I've enjoyed doing. it, mate. It's good. It's flown by. What I always ask is if people are listening to this and they do want to read, if it's a manager wanting to just pick your brains, if it's another recruitment owner wanting to find out anything that you've mentioned today, I know specifically you mentioned that um, employee advisory or support service. Yeah. You're open to people reaching out to you via LinkedIn. Is that the best place? Yeah. Anything, anything at all. Any, any help that I can give on any level. Yeah. Um, yeah please do. Right. You're tagged in. I'll, I'll make sure you're tagged in everything that goes out. Um, you know what? I definitely will. I'd love to have you back on in 2021. Let's let's look at that. What you've made mistakes on, and let's have a look at what um, what goes on in in terms of how Interquest evolves in into the new world. Um, Appreciate you giving up your time for, for people today. Um, Thanks for having me, mate. Thank you, you guys, much. anyone who's listening to LinkedIn Live, thank you for listening. Appreciate you um, giving us your attention today, um, two o'clock on, on a Tuesday um, of all times. Um, and anyone who's listening back on the podcast or on YouTube, thanks again, as always, for your attention. We, I, I don't take it for granted. I really appreciate the fact that you given you give your time to listen to, to this show. Um, I always ask for one thing. I don't want any money from you guys. I want you to share this episode with someone who needs it. So Chris has got a remarkable story, so much information that can help others. Just drop it a text, a WhatsApp, an email to other people saying, guys, listen to this. The more people that listen, the more that um, we can we can keep this industry thriving through, through difficult times. Mm. I'm going to be back on Thursday, 8 a.m. UK time, 7 p.m. Australian Eastern time with my co-host on a Thursday, Pete Watson. And we've got Angela Hawkins, who's the founder of a company called Tandem Partners, another graduate of our academy um phenomenal woman very very strong leader recruits in the um exec hr space in, into australia and another seven eight month lockdown story um uh, com complete resilience and strength and uh, i can't wait to find out more about i mean i know angela but again it's a bit like this today i've dealt with you weekly but i feel like i know you so much more so i can't wait for that one hopefully chris as well you'll you can tune into that um so I'll be back again Thursday, 8 a.m. Um, in the meantime, you guys stay safe and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. 
in three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online. And we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now we're managing the marketing for. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters, and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much, and we will see you again soon.